Hi, welcome to Black Imagination, where Antoine and I open up our Black space to our Black and Brown friends doing dope things in Milwaukee's arts and culture scene. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE Podcast Network. And now, here's the show. Welcome to another episode of Black Imagination with Antoine Carter and me, Kenita Hickman. Hey, Antoine. How are you? Man, I feel blessed today. I like today's interview is going to be something special. Like I woke up this morning feeling like tomorrow's payday, but today, today, we have we, we brought out the big guns. The we, big guns. <laughs> and wouldn't you want it to be black imagination that brings out the big guns? Like, isn't this where it should happen? Yes. Yes, it, yes, it is. So today we are joined by the amazing Alderwoman Malele Cogs in the building. Hey, Alderwoman Cogs. Hey, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for being here. And I, I'm a I'm a give you the respect you deserve because I don't want <laughs> folks in the street to be like they can call you Malele. No, her name is <laughs> Cogs until she tells you otherwise. Yes, until she tells otherwise. I appreciate that. So we got to get one thing out the way real quick, because I know Antoine wants to do it. So I'm going to just steal his thunder and say, I know you went to Riverside, Alderwoman. <laughs> yes. I'm the king. It's fine. It's fine. Yes. It's fine. That's what I'm saying. It's fine. <laughs> so, so you are the second riverside tiger to be on our show and we've only had two episodes okay who was yeah. the first ray nitty okay yeah yeah we ha we had to bring him on the show to go from you know what he's built in a, his hip-hop career to now really changing a neighborhood which mm -hmm. i think is fair to say um not just your legacy, but also the COGS legacy is like really deep in changing um, Black lives and Black families in Milwaukee. So first, thank you so much to your family um, for, for what you you have done for for the city. There's so much. There's so much to talk about. Um, I don't even know where to start. I'm I'm gonna <laughs> kick it off with. I know you went to Fisk University. We were talking about that before we started. Um, mm -hmm talk before we started recording was there ever a moment where you thought you would not come back to milwaukee was there ever a moment where you wanted to get away from the legacy <laughs> right that's a good question. of course <laughs> um my senior year at riverside i had the privilege of taking classes at uwm and i had some great professors dr Mbaya and, and um, professor dade um, and I talked in their Africology department. And though I loved the professors and I loved the courses, it helped me to know that I wanted to go to HBCU. So that was that was that was one. Then um, while at Riverside, I went on some black college tours. So I got to see Fisk and 22 other black colleges. So when it came time, I applied to 15 schools. Um, all of them were HBCUs and all of them, of course, were outside of Wisconsin. It was my intention to leave here. Um, and although Milwaukee would always have been my home, um, I thought I was gonna go black and not come back. <laughs> that was really my goal. But once um, matriculating at Fisk, I really thought about what I wanted to do after Fisk and I wanted to go to law school. And I applied to law schools all over the country, 
but there was no better deal I got than to come back home to Wisconsin to go to University of Wisconsin-Madison. It's a top rated law school and I got an in-state fee and I got a um, scholarship. So it was kind of difficult to choose anything else other than here. Um, so that's part of the reason I came back. While I was in law school, I did an internship in Chicago for the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. And I love Chicago. And I lived there for like 10 weeks. I loved it. But that kind of solidified to me that Milwaukee was my home and that I needed to come back here to really make a difference. In Chicago, it was great, but I recognized I could be a small fish in a big pond there, or I could be a big fish in a small pond here, and that there was so much work to be done to help improve our community that won't be done if all of us who have the capability to help make it happen leave. You know, and Antoine, definitely feel free to get on uh, what is about to be a good conversation. I think what I really appreciate about you older woman cogs is, you know, as things are happening at City Hall, decisions are being made, things like that, I always see other people speaking up, right? So when like, if so if you don't get, so if something happens and you don't get to be a part of this committee or that committee or whatever, whatever the case is, um, there are, you have so many advocates and what I appreciate most about you is that at least from a social media standpoint, you seem really oblivious that these conversations are happening and you seem very committed to doing the work. Like you are just, you can call me whatever you want. I'm just here to do the work. And I think there's something very cool about someone who has the legacy that you have being a COGS but also the legacy that you've built in the city. And we're gonna talk about a couple of those things that you've done in the city um, amongst the many things, but you just do, like you could really be out here flexing on people like all the time. <laughs> like you could literally have somebody on this podcast right now answering all the questions for you while I'm looking at your face. Like you could do that and you don't. <laughs> so like you stay humble, but you don't have to. <laughs> I'm, um, you know, you're not the first person to tell me that, but um, I am humble, um, primarily because, you know, you know, you talk about the family legacy and most people think of our legacy in politics, but truly our legacy is a public service. Um, it's more of us who have had careers or just a life of service than who actually ever held a political title. It's just something in our family that we've passed down through the years, a legacy of service. So for me, um, I can't flex on being a public servant. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just honored to have the privilege to be a um, public servant. And I think it's my responsibility um, to help leave things more beneficial than I inherited them. And so that's kind of what I lead with. Um, and I'm going to lead from wherever I'm at. Um, so, yeah, in politics, it's a lot of games. It's a lot of other things that go on. But for me, I am here and I am of service because I want to change and improve the conditions for my people and my community in this city. Um, so even in the midst of all of that, um, that's what I stay focused on. And that's what keeps me humble. And that's what keeps me um, continuously doing legislation, continuously trying to find ways to make politics more transparent for people and to kind of break it down um, so that people understand. Politics to me is like so much a part of all of our lives that it should never be communicated in such a complex way that we don't understand what's going on. It's our money, it's our lives, the laws affect our daily lives. And it's to me unfortunate 
when people allow for, you know, the news stories and the communication about legislation and different things going on to be done in such a way that the average person doesn't even realize what's going on. So for me, I spend every day just trying to figure out those ways to be as transparent as possible and to talk about politics in a real life way um, so that people can see how they can help change stuff and how they can improve stuff using this system we call politics. I want to... I want to one say you just answered the question I was about to ask you, <laughs> which is really cool because that's what Riverside Tigers do. <laughs> but it makes me think of your social media presence and that you really work to um, provide those easy to grasp like bits of information what is what what is your perspective or what is your approach on social media given that you probably have access to a lot more information and all of these other things that aldermen's older women know um is it is it even harder to make it facebook like easy to receive on facebook yeah because like my mom follows you because my mom (laughs) follows you and you know my mom, yeah. so 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 like even she's able to stay abreast what's going on thanks to the the way you post. Yeah. So I just wanted to just see if you could elaborate on your strategy behind that. So um, when I first got elected, <clears throat> I think Facebook was in its infancy, um, and I was I only had a personal page. And then everybody and their mama started trying to be friends. And I was like, why? I don't know these people. Why are they trying to be my friends? And then my assistant, Akul, was like, you know, those are probably constituents. Um, so I made an official page, an automatic page. Um, and then as you know, time passed, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, I wasn't a big social media person, but I recognized when I first got in, a lot of people were like, oh, you're so hard to reach or we don't know what you're doing or this, this, and that. And so initially I tried to use the city's website to update, to let them know different stuff going on. But I realized not that many people were going to the city's website. And I said, where are people at? I believe in meeting people where they are. Um, And it's a lot of people on social media. It's a lot of people getting their information from social media. So I just began to use Facebook and other um, social media platforms more. Um, It's no real method to how I post. Um, the way I post is authentically me. It's no science to it. It's no, it's no any of that. It's really the press releases as they come, the meetings as I sit in them. Um, and occasionally I'll do a live just saying what I feel at the moment because I don't think typing the letters or the words could encompass me verbally saying what I feel about an issue or a thing that just occurred. So really, it's just authentically me in the moment. And the articles I, I share are just articles I've read that I think are interesting to the times. Um, and if you notice, most of them, I don't post my opinion about them. I just post the articles for dialogue and discussion. Um, so that's pretty much what I do. And I promote you know, um, events and different things that we uh, do um, through the district and also through the city that I may support. But it's really just informational. But what it's become, I think, in listening to residents it's like a resource. Like if you want to know something going on, or if you want to know about a local issue or something, let me check my last page because it probably has something on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm proud of that, but really it's no science to um, science to it. It's just authentically me. 
and and I don't know if folks in uh, in the Black Imagine world know, but in these Facebook in the Facebook community, there are neighborhood groups who have their own pages mm -hmm. and groups, and you're in those pages too. Like, <laughs> like that's that's the deeper level of engagement where like you're not just posting like this is what I think, but you're also yeah. going to these neighborhood groups and saying, um, here's the information take it as you will think about this we're dealing with a presidential election coming up right in november and i think i just read today on cnn about the president saying that he wants to postpone the elections uh, for a variety of reasons but regardless you're going to see tons of people out here in the streets we're going to get mailers we're going to have people calling us texting us get out and vote get out and vote if along the way before November, the in the times leading up to major elections, we're not engaging people on political issues. It's kind of hard for a couple of months to try to tell you how important something is when we haven't spent the years leading up to it um, expressing how important all these issues are. And to me, there are no greater um, issues than local ones. We can talk about federal stuff all day long, but it's the local stuff that we're voting on at the city that's gonna affect your block, your house, your home. And how do you get people engaged in that? It's not a couple of days before an election to pay some people to be out on the street to get you to go vote. It's getting the issues to you in a way that you understand them, getting you engaged and understanding those so that when it comes time to say, hey, this is where I stand on these issues. If you agree with that, support me. It's a lot easier to do that um, than it is trying to campaign around stuff later. It's keeping you informed all the way along. And then there are issues that um, I really want to hear from residents about what they feel and what they think, because it helps guide how I may vote or future legislation I may fight for. So having those social media interactions and getting that feedback um, from constituents is critically important to me. So let me touch on something that you just mentioned, the importance of local elections. Um, for folks who don't know, right, because I think sometimes with local elections, you don't really know the difference between an older person versus a county supervisor versus like your state rep. <laughs> like, what, what's under the purview of an older person? Like, what, what are they, what are they governing? as it relates to neighborhoods that affect our, our everyday lives? So um, I tell when I speak to young people, I always break down the levels of government and all that. We are the legislative branch of the city's um, government. And at the city level, we deal with fire, police, garbage, lights, potholes, all of those basic quality of life issues uh, for residents. So that's primarily what we're dealing with um, at the city. But you're right, we get calls every day for issues that may be a county, state, or federal issue. And we try to work with people to, um, one, educate them on the nature of the question that they're asking and connect them with the appropriate level. But basic quality of life issues is what we're dealing with at the city. Anything involving schools, just for my curiosity, do you, or would that be higher up the food chain? Are, are you moving to her district? <laughs> are you? That'd be great. 
We welcome, we welcome creators in particular, but we welcome everybody. Is, is she asking for a friend? <laughs> I'm asking because even me as a, as somebody who votes in every election, um, I go and I, I, I do my research on the candidates, but mm -hmm. if you asked me as a fairly educated Black woman in Milwaukee, I couldn't tell what was under your mm -hmm. purview or what was under county supervisor. I don't know. I just know I go to the pages and I read where y'all stand and I read where your opponent stands and I make a decision. Um, but I've always been curious about that because I think that knowledge makes us a little bit more powerful as voters. When we city buses. So if I did a whole thing running saying I was going to uh, do make the city buses free and do this, I can't because I'm not a county supervisor. I don't vote on city buses. So it's just, it's that kind of thing. So yeah, it is important that we be educated on those things. And plus, I'm a believer that the more we know, not just about our representatives, but all that, you know, they impact, we can more directly get our needs addressed, um, period. If I know that Department of Public Works at the city of Milwaukee under the order of person's purview is what deals with my garbage, then I can more directly call Department of Public Works when my garbage didn't get picked up. It's that kind of thing. So. I am forever trying to find ways to help educate folks because that's empowering to be able to um, address the issues and concerns that impacts, you know, basic quality of life stuff. Um, but you asked a question before we start laughing. You asked a question and I didn't even answer it. We just started laughing. Oh. I don't even remember the question. It's gonna come back. It's gonna come back, hopefully. Right. Oh, but the school board, school board, you asked if the uh, schools, so no, we don't. And, you know, and that's different for other, from other cities In some other cities, their city council or aldermen and women do have influence over the schools. We don't. Um, we do deal with their real estate. So like their buildings, um, it is, it is things that we impact uh, with their buildings and we impact their bonding. So we help them bond. But ultimately, they have a whole separate school board of directors. Um, they have a whole separate budget. They have a whole separate uh, taxing ability as well. So no, we don't control the schools. Interesting. Let's let's talk about something you got coming up. Brian? Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> one more question. I got one more question. Because we talked about community and we talked about schools. How does an older woman work in relationship to businesses mm. in these neighborhoods? <clears throat> so it depends on the type of business, but <clears throat> depending on where you open a business, the physical space you want to open it in, if it is zoned for the type of business you want to put in there. Um, those zoning requirements are city-based. So if it's not, you want to put a daycare somewhere that used to be a bar, it may not be zoned for a daycare. So you may have to either get the zoning changed or get a special use permit. All of that will have to go through the city and the other person will weigh in in some way um, on that. So that way, um, there are other like, if it's a liquor or food or that type of license, um, and there's some other licenses that have to, or permits that have to be granted for certain types of businesses, those have to go through um, aldermen or the city as well. But it's other businesses that if the building is already zoned for that, and if it doesn't require a special license or permit, that you would just open and the older person may or may not have anything to do with it. 
Um, additionally, if you're developing something um, or creating a new space for a business and that kind of thing, those usually have to go through different levels of uh, committees and council uh, for approval and sometimes attempts to get different assistance from the city grants um, and different things like that to help them to you know, improve the building or do different things with the business. I personally though, you know, I graduated from Fisk with a dual degree in English and business. So business is something that um, I love. And before I became an order person, I used to do small business consulting, political consulting, educational consulting. So once I got in to office, one of the main calls I get is for people trying to start a small business. Um, and so instead of just individually meeting with everybody, um, which is a lot, I started doing something we call MKE Business Now, this Entrepreneurship Summit. So we do that every year. Hundreds of entrepreneurs come through and they're able to, uh, of course, meet and discuss and get advice from other um, successful entrepreneurs. But they also are exposed to resources because we have like 30 vendors and then we have several workshops on everything from how to finance your business to how to brand your business. Um, and so we do that every year. And we do business mixers and other things as well to try to help uh, small businesses to grow. Because I believe, you know, the days of big old companies coming to town, hiring thousands and thousands of people, it's kind of over. Uh, we really are surviving off of our small businesses. They're the ones hiring people from the neighborhood and from the community. So we have to figure out ways to help those um, stay strong and to grow um, so they can hire even more people. So I try to find little ways to do that. Uh, so that's kind of how from the city side, um, we impact business in general and some of the stuff that I specifically do. And I know one of the cool projects that you support is in relationship to Bronzeville. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Bronzeville Week. Definitely. Um, this is our eighth year. August 1st through the 8th will be our eighth annual um, Bronzeville Week. As we looked around and saw for the summer, unfortunately because of COVID-19, you know, everything is canceled. Summerfest, Black Arts, MKE, just everything. Jazz in the park. So we thought about it and we decided to, to push ahead and try to do something uh, with Bronzeville Week. Um, this year is way more virtual. It's way more workshops and uh, virtual performances and that kind of thing. It's a couple of in-person things, but most of it is virtual. Um, and this full schedule can be found at milwaukee.gov forward slash Bronzeville. Uh, but we have some great things going on this year. Uh, we're beginning with a virtual version of the Harambe 5K walk run. Instead of meeting up in Bronzeville to do the run, um, people will have all week to complete, complete 5K. Um, and it's for, we do it in the name of healthy birth outcomes. Because you know, as African-Americans in this city, we have some of the highest infant mortality rates. So this uh, Tonda Thompson helped to found and start Harambe to help create awareness and to help us uh, fight um, for healthy birth outcomes. So that 5K people can sign up for um, and they can do, they have all week to do it virtually. Um, they can run through their own neighborhoods, walk through their own neighborhoods and get to that 5K. Um, and so that's how we're starting and it's workshops and performances all in between. And then we're ending with a uh, drive-in on King Drive. We'll be doing a double feature. We'll be doing the Wiz and we'll be doing Barbershop. 
And we'll have, a, we're partnering with um, Black Lens. Um, Greater Milwaukee Foundation is also sponsoring and so is Milwaukee Health Services. Uh, so it's a variety of things. We're, we're, we're pushing people to shop in Bronzeville that week, so it'll be different specials at the stores and restaurants. We're pushing people to have brunch in Bronzeville. We got Bronzeville bingo going on. You can get discounts um, at different places. It's several things to encourage people to come through Bronzeville that week. Um, and people can look at us on all the social media platforms, Bronzeville Week, and they can virtually see the events um, as they occur. Let's talk about the historical context of Bronzeville in Milwaukee and, and Bronzeville as a whole, because there's still quite a few people who don't know <laughs> what Bronzeville, Bronzeville is. That That's me saying it nicely, because I, I went to, where was I? Me and my homegirl, we did lunch at Mikasa mm -hmm. and we, we, uh, we saw some families that we would not normally expect on King Drive. I was like, oh, maybe I need to buy into the neighborhood. Is it too late? Have I missed out? Have I missed out? It's never too late. It's never too late. <laughs> not on King Drive. <laughs> we got several city-owned properties and parcels that are still available, still okay. available. Um, but, but no, this it's a hot area. It's an area that people are beginning to invest in. Um, I know people worry about, you know, gentrification and displacement. That is something that I actively fight against. Um, and as a result, you will notice um, on that southern end of King Drive is some of the most African-American ownership um, in the buildings and the businesses than we've probably had since MLK started. So although I know the concern of people is about gentrification and displacement, which is fairly rooted, um, given the level of assess assessments on properties in the last couple of years in the area, but we're still encouraging folks from the community to buy into the area, and we are continuously fighting against displacement. Some of the beauty of the area is not just the businesses, it's not just King Drive, it's the people that live over here. And if you go through these neighborhoods, it's mm -hmm. people who've been here 40 years, 50 years, it's a family house, it's not just the person's house. And I think that character is kind of what builds the neighborhood. So as we continue to build up King Drive to be a to make it the best in the country. And as we continue to expose people to Bronzeville, um, I don't think we have to leave behind those people who've helped to bring it this far. And so that's a continual balancing act that we have to play in the fight for. But yeah, there's definitely still room for investment and there's definitely room for you. I think we, you and I first met at Mikasa. We did, with, <laughs> with, with my, my mentor and my sis, uh, Ebony Sally. <laughs> And um, yeah, and I was like, I can't, I can't call her Malayla. Still, like, I gotta, I gotta call her all the women. I don't have that permission yet. So, but going back to wait, 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 wait. Friendly, friendly flex. Can can I call you Malayla? <laughs> Are we that cool? Are we that cool? <laughs> you gonna ask her on your podcast because you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you follow on your podcast, sure. <laughs> yes, yes, older woman. <laughs> I feel like the only time I use that is like when I'm sending you an email. <laughs> it pops up quicker. Nah, I I like to use because I want to make sure that people know that it's a respect thing. You know what I'm saying? And I think as Black people who go on to 
you know, get these titles, whether it's your PhD or whatever, I think it's so important that we acknowledge mm-hmm. that title, especially for me in mixed company. Like, it ain't sweet. Like, <laughs> you need to respect this person because that is their name until they tell you otherwise. Until they tell you otherwise. You know, I used to not um, be a big title person. I'm still not. But when I got in office, even before office as an attorney, um, I never was big on making people know that I'm an attorney or whatever until times where I felt like I needed to flex, if I'm honest, um, where people were questioning my intellect or, you know what I'm saying, my reasoning or something like that. Um, but And then when I got in office, it still wasn't a big deal to me. But to your point, um, as I began to have meetings, as I began to sit and, you know, debate and fight for the things our community needs, um, the lack of the title was beginning to be used disrespectful as the sign of disrespect. Um, so mm-hmm. that's when I began to be like, oh, what should I call oh, the woman? <laughs> that's what she should call me. Let's be clear. That's what you should call me. So um, just and for that reason. So that's part, like, personally, yeah, Antoine Fox said you, Malala is good. But 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 in these oh, yeah. and stuff, yeah, call me by the title I have earned and that people have had um the you know, people have had the trust in me to allow me to hold. So um so yeah. And you know, I think just even in this this landscape of uh, I think it's incredible that as black people, as people of color that we still have to assert how we got the seat at the table, um, which is in, incredible to me. And I just want to offer up myself, if you ever need somebody to just flex for you in rooms, I'm a good flexer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, flex I flex on behalf of anybody. So if you need it, you know what I'm saying? You need that like tiny brown muscle behind you. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Just, just, just make sure that. you acknowledge that Riverside. <laughs> Just make sure Listen, you acknowledge no that. riverside beef with Alderwoman cops. Like, I'm here for it. I appreciate yeah. that. But since you're talking about Riverside, I do want to just say this. You know, out of the 15 members um at the council, four of us are alumni of Riverside. Riverside had the biggest contingency on the council, plus the city treasurer, my uncle Spencer Cox is a Riverside alum as well. Um, I say that kind of playfully, but also I think one of the beauty of Riverside um, is that it taught us how to fight for social justice. I mean, yeah, I got the political background from my family, but, you know, we were doing walkouts. We were um, fighting. I remember testifying at the city for um, the street name change to be Glover um, to after, after um, Glover because they named one after Booth the abolitionist. We said, you should name one after Glover, the enslaved black man, (laughs) who all this stuff happened for. But anyway, and the story behind that. But a lot of students, we got together and we fought for that, wrote letters to the city and went and testified. We, I know students fought for light changes and parking changes and all of that kind of thing. So it kind of gave you a taste of how to be civically engaged and not just be angry, but how to bring about the change you want to see. And I appreciated that in that experience. I say that because I have two children of my own. And now, you know, since most of us are homeschooling, 
plus seeing everything that's going on in the world politically, I think young people are probably even more in tune than they previously were and probably feeling a little powerless. I think it's important as educators and as parents that we try to find those ways that young people can make an impression, can change some things um, because it'll only help them to be even better equipped adults um, to continue to be change agents out here in the community. That's that's good stuff. I, I got one more question and I'm gonna turn it over mm -hmm. to Antoine. How important is arts it, for you? Um, before we hopped on the call, you mentioned that um, one of your babies is a creative. <laughs> um, and so I'm just, you know, as we think about the role that that arts plays in the city of Milwaukee and us, um, our state being like the lowest for arts funding. I'm just curious as to where where you are on that in terms of the importance of art. I know Bronzeville typically has the arts walk. Um, so just, just wanted you to speak a little bit about that. You know, Bronzeville is the city's African-American arts, cultural and entertainment district. And the whole of the Bronzeville district is in the sixth automatic district that I happen to represent. Um, my mom was a graphic designer um, and an artist herself, um, and several people in my family are as well. My, my daughter um, is a theater um, actress, um, a musician, she plays the guitar, and a visual artist as well. Um, so I'm around art <laughs> all the time, and I appreciate and love it. I do abstract art myself, but I stop short of calling myself an artist, <laughs> but I think that art is it plays so many roles. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, part of the reason that we stress art, particularly in the Bronzeville neighborhoods, is not just because the city has declared it the African-American Arts and Cultural District, but it's also because when you talk about rebuilding neighborhoods across this country, oftentimes it is done with the use of art and artists. Um, it is art, every trendy neighborhood you can think of across the country at one point wasn't so trendy. And the point at which it began to convert was when usually when artists come and invest their creativity into an area um, and it becomes cool somehow, you know what I mean? It becomes mm -hmm. like the place that people once thought was so bad becomes like that cool place to be. And you see that across the country time and time again. So I recognize that if in my job as an order person, if I encourage and create ways to allow for there to be expressions of art in all different forms um, throughout the neighborhood, and the city becomes like a partner with creatives on helping to do that, it helps to bring up a whole neighborhood in ways that we couldn't have imagined and no development deal could have done that none of the regular urban planning ways that people would have thought um, could have ever done. So I embrace um, art and um, what it can do to help transform communities. Um, that's one. Two, if you look at everything that's going on in the country right now on a social justice tip with all the level of unrest, if you look at the history of unrest throughout this country, as we pivot towards trying to heal and trying to come together after unrest, art plays a huge role in all of that. Even, even in the city, what, what, what do people celebrate now in this moment? all these murals and different things going up. It's bringing people together in a way that they never would have um, after the unrest that we've seen and are continuing to see. And I think art plays a pivotal role 
and helping helping community he, communities heal. So I recognize that, I embrace that, I have lived that. And throughout the week of Brownsville, August 1st through 8th, I think you'll see a lot of artistic um, things going on. And although we don't have the physical art walk, there will be art on display and there will be artists being interviewed and a whole bunch of things like that throughout the week. So we generally end our podcast with one last question. Who could you could you name us some of your favorite Milwaukee artists? Hmm. Man, you don't get me in trouble. Um we know you are thinking you're running through your list of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of artists. <laughs> And we don't have time for you to give us all of the artists that you love. So could you maybe just shout out a few, not in particular order. I feel like, does that save you? So, so my, my, my <laughs> all-time favorite artist is my mom, um, Balma Cox, um, just period. I have her art everywhere in my office, all of that. I just love her art. Um, my second is my daughter, Taylor Phillips. But aside from family, contemporarily, um, I love the art of uh, Della Wells. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's timeless. Uh, I enjoy the art of uh, Vidal Hill, um, Matope, Fatima Lassiter, uh, and, and several others, but there's in particular for different reasons, because they're all different types of visual artists, um, but I love those. Um, poetically, artistically, I love uh, the work of Dasha Kelly, uh, Mario the Poet, Miss um, Dia and several others. And um, so yeah, I'll just stop there. So yeah, it's, um, it's some great artists out here um, in Milwaukee. We have more than our share of talented creatives here. Um, even if other folks don't realize it, I see it. I think we just have to figure out ways to continue to uplift them so that they begin to get the recognition that we all know they deserve. Thank you so much, Otter Woman Cox, for being with us today. Um, everyone, please make sure to look up Bronzeville Week 2020 and look for any way to plug in because we need you there. So um, thank you. And that is it, guys. That is pretty much it. You did really good. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the conversation. Thanks for listening to Black Imagination with Antoine and Kanita. Black Imagination is a part of the Imagine MKE podcast. Be sure to rate us five stars, share a positive review. It really helps people find us. Also, be sure to email us at pod at imaginemke. Don't forget to like us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under Imagine underscore MKE. Anything else you'd like to mention, Kanita? You can also find us on Facebook at Imagine MKE. So, uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you on the next show. All right. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.